If you have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, we will be studying verses 1 through 4. This by far is one of my favorite passages of scripture in all the Bible. You might not have known this, but we, we sent you a letter about giving. We've got a building project that's going to happen sooner than later. And I thought, what better passage of scripture to talk about giving than examine the greatest giver in all of the scripture? This widow. I think that the Lord has a lot to teach us today. So let's ask the Lord once again that he would teach us that his spirit would change our hearts, for we need his assistance. Father, we come before you, and we come to this passage of Scripture that's very well known. If anyone's been a Christian for any amount of time, you've, you've heard this passage, you've heard this sermon. And Father, we pray that you would let us see it with eyes of faith. Let us see this passage with the eyes of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would change our hearts. We pray that you would comfort those who are in grief. We pray that you would encourage the saints that need encouragement. And Father, convict those that need convicting. Your Spirit, Father, works in mysterious ways, and we pray that this passage would be preached purely. Please be with me to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And thus sends the reading of the very words of God. Many of you had the opportunity to meet Miss Fawn Lightfoot. She was a member of our church, um, maybe for four or five years, a very beautiful woman that the Lord sent us. But Fawn was not a real name. Uh, her real name was Candace. Miss Fawn, if you never got to know Miss Fawn, she rode this motorized cart. And one time she was actually pulled over on Highway 204 for driving that motorized cart on Highway 204. I guess you, you can't do 15 <laughs> trying to go somewhere. That was just her personality. She didn't understand that her cart took up space. So if you were having a conversation with someone, you need to have your head on a swiddle because she may put that cart right between both of you because she's aloof. She's got somewhere to go. One time she was backing her cart up in an old building we used to worship in and we used to record the sermons and put them on Vimeo and we got this brand new video camera. Very nice. And she hit the tripod, the camera was in a typical and then it, it broke. So Miss Vaughn, you got to be careful. She did not do that once. She did it twice. And finally had to put a piece of tape. No more. No cart past this line. Miss Vaughn. Okay, okay. Miss Vaughn would call me often. Travis, you need to cover my house right now. Well, what's the problem, Miss Vaughn? This lady here doesn't know Jesus, and she's living in sin, and we need to take care of that. You need to tell her. I'm like, okay, well, this is fine. You know, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. She loved the Lord. She would bring people to church, but 
Miss Fawn was very poor. Never owned a car, never owned a house. For some of you who maybe lived in poverty, you even know why she changed her name probably a couple times. And Miss Fawn rode the Chatham Area Transit. That's the cat bus to get places. And they would pick her up in her little tiny motorized cart. And one day the, the cat bus driver forgot to strap her in. Made a right turn and she fell over, right? And there was a settlement. And the Chatham Area Transit settled with her for $10,000. She never had money in her life. She calls me up, Travis, I've got $10,000. I'm like, okay, Miss Vaughn, that's good. What are we going to do with it? She goes, I'm going to give money to the church. I said, excuse me? She says, I've never in my life been able to give money to the church. And I want to bless the church. Now $10,000, good chunk of change, especially when you're poor. But to give over $1,000 to the church when you have nothing to your name, that shows love for the Lord. That shows kindness. I would say it taught me lessons that I never thought I'd learn from Ms. Von Lightfoot. Lessons about the kingdom of God. $1,000 didn't change our budget, let's just be honest. But it exposed my heart. And I think God's math works a little differently than our math works. We would say, well, $1,000, I mean, what's that going to do? Change the kingdom. Change someone's life forever. We come to a story where we see the greatest giver in the kingdom of God is not a multi-billionaire like Elon Musk. You would think, that's got to be the one that's the greatest giver. Oh, no. The greatest giver was one of the poorest women we see in Scripture. A poor widow who gave two copper coins. And if you're taking notes, I want you to see five things. The first thing I want to see is, we will look at this looking. It seems to be that Jesus is always looking. All throughout Scripture, He's looking. The second thing I want to see is presuppositions. It's often that people use this text and they take their presuppositions and pull it in the text and they teach it completely wrong. I want to make sure we know up front what this text isn't saying. The third thing I want to see is talk about giving. We're going to see this juxtaposition between the rich giving and this poor widow giving. Fourth thing we'll see is this obligation that we all have. And the fifth thing we'll see is this passage was judgment. Looking presuppositions, giving, obligation, and judgment. As we look at this looking, I don't know if you've ever met someone who plays the busy Olympics. Hey, you want to go, oh, I'm busy right now. I don't have time to do this. Like they're always busy, 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 busy. They've got this gold medal in an event that doesn't even exist, right? They're playing the busy Olympics. You would think that if someone was too busy to do something at this moment of their life, it would have been Jesus. One scholar says, what was on Jesus' mind? It was wholly occupied by what? Should have been his betrayal, his unjust judgment, the cross which he was going to bear, his passion, his death. All of those were close at hand, and he knew it. But yet he took the time to observe this poor widow. Jesus is never too busy to look.
He's sitting down. Mark 12 tells us this story. He's sitting down. He knows what's coming. He knows he's going to go to the cross and die for sin. But yet he still takes the time to observe. And he's looking more than just what people are giving. You see this in this text. He sees more than just the wealthy putting in their coins or whatever coins, that gold and silver. And he's looking more than just the widow putting in coins. He's looking into the heart of the people. See, when Jesus looks, it's just not the way you and I look. He pierces into the hearts of people. Now, little kids, if you don't know this story, I want you to shake your parents. Now, kids, look at me. Little kids, little ones, if you're little. Little kids, I want you to go home and say, tell me about 1 Samuel 16. Tell me about King David. You would think King David, he's a warrior, right? That's the reason he couldn't build the temple. He was big and strong and was a warrior. Did you know he had seven other brothers and they were all bigger than he was? What? As a matter of fact, when they were choosing the king, his dad, he marched up the big son Eliab who was very good looking and massively strong. That should have been the king, right? That's how the world would have chosen the king based upon the big person. No. As a matter of fact, we read, God tells Samuel, do not consider the outward appearance of his height. The Lord does not look at things the way people do. People look at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. See, this is just not a New Testament teaching. Throughout all of history, God has pierced at the hearts of people. The world is the one that judges based upon size, based upon intellect, based upon finances, based upon wealth, based upon production. God looks at your heart. His math is a lot different. And he's looking at everyone. He's not too busy to look at those that the world would consider less than. He even sees their heart. And often, the people who other people think that are less than are actually the greatest in the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, the rules of the world don't apply. Which brings us to the second part of the sermon, the, the presuppositions. Just so you know, presuppositions aren't bad. Van Til will tell us good presuppositions are good and bad presuppositions are bad. If you read your Bible this week, and you have a presupposition that it's the word of God, that's a good presupposition. You're going to go to the Bible and read it. You may not understand it. You may I don't understand what this is saying, but it's the word of God, and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to call someone. I'm going to go Google search. I've got to figure this thing out. I don't know what it means, but I believe it's the word of God. That's a good presupposition. Bad presupposition is, this isn't the word of God. Let me find every contradiction I can find inside of this. And you see people with these bad presuppositions. A lot of time, people read their presuppositions into this text. For we see that the widow gave all that she had. And people are going to tell you, if you don't give all, you're in sin. As a matter of fact, they're going to preach some type of socialistic, communistic agenda. According to Bernie Sanders, the greatest problem in the world is unequal distribution of wealth. Not the murders, not the rapes. 
not the child slavery, not the slavery in the world. The greatest problem in the world is unequal distribution of wealth. And you may think this is a communistic Karl Marx issue. Let me tell you, Karl Marx is seven years old when a man named Robert Dell Owen comes from the UK and he moves to Indiana. This is 1825. Karl Marx is seven. He has no clue about any of this. He's still playing with G.I. Joe men, right? Mr. Owen comes over in 1825, moves to Indiana and gathers about a thousand people and they're going to plant this city called New Harmony. It's going to be amazing. He's going to have this socialistic community in 1825 and it's going to be the great utopia and he's going to show the whole world this is how you can live. Everyone gets equal amount of property. Everyone gets equal amount of housing. Everyone gets equal amount of food, equal amount of milk. And over almost a thousand people pull their money together and they build these massive buildings. And if you've ever been there, the brick and mortar is absolutely incredible. Our houses aren't built that well today, let me tell you. Those houses will be there forever, even when our houses have fallen down. First year was, was, was good. You know, everybody was excited and working. The second year was a problem. You know, men and women were working, milking cows, working in the fields, and they realized that old Johnny had been sleeping in all morning. They've been out three hours, and Johnny comes rolling out of bed, and then he takes a two-hour lunch. He knocks off early and goes home. And they're like, wait a minute. How come Johnny gets the same amount of food as I get? Wait a minute. I'm just not going to work anymore. So I'm not going to work anymore, and I'm getting the same amount of food. This is great. Then you got the whole community doing that, and you got 5% of the people trying to serve, and there's not enough food to go around, and everybody says, this doesn't work! Yeah, we know. <laughs> Scripture makes it very clear, Mr. You must give everything. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. At the same time, there's this moral law, right? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not steal. Half of God's Old Testament law is teaching us about personal property. How to divide that personal property. How to work hard and attain that personal property. And when people often tell us that this passage here needs to be taught so everyone gets everything, you, you totally miss the point. Giving away everything doesn't change your heart. Isn't it a great follow-up from last week? Paul says what? You give everything. But if your heart's not right, it means nothing. This passage is all about our heart. You can't read things in the text. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to tell us, let each one give what the Lord has laid on his heart, not under compulsion. You're not forced to give. The reality is, God could build us a building tomorrow. Instantaneously done. No more building project, no more giving. If God wanted to, he could do that. But he wants our hearts. That's more important than a building. More important than a building is for you to have a heart for the Lord and a heart for the kingdom. This passage is all about our hearts. Not teaching us the wit to give everything away. That's reading into the text. 
God is teaching us a principle about the kingdom. We've seen that Jesus is always looking. We've seen these false presuppositions. Now let's look at this giving. The juxtaposition of the two people that gave. Verse 1, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into an offering box. Just so you know, to get to the offering box, you had to go through the gates and you had to go through the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. Then you had the court of the Jews and then you had the Holy of Holies. And as you walked through the gates, everyone passed through the gates. Which makes sense, right? You want to get as many people giving as possible, right? Everybody walked through the gates. Everybody passed by these 13 different boxes to give in. Now, you may think the number 13 special. I don't. I tried to read commentary. I was, ah, it's just 13. I think you had more than one because one would fill up. Right? I think they'd had 14 and 13 started to fill up. But 13 seemed to be the magic number. And there was this funnel, big metal funnel that went into these boxes. Almost like a trumpet-shaped funnel. And people would dump their money in as they went to temple to worship. You could hear how much someone was given based upon the noise. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Coinstar before. My wife and I, when we first got married, we went on honeymoon, and uh, I had this change jar that had over $200 worth of change in it. And there's no way in a million years I'm giving Coinstar 7% of my quarters. I rolled those quarters. But the dimes and the nickels, I put those in. And it sounded like a casino. Cha-ching, 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 the noise. People knew I was giving a lot of money to Coinstar. Like, oh, that guy's got a lot of change. That's amazing. Look at the change, right? Can you imagine if someone went there with just a little bit of change? Not much. The rich were making a spectacle of their giving. You know what Jesus says. says the Pharisees love to see their deeds seen by men. They loved to make a spectacle. They loved for people to see what they were doing. This is why Jesus did say in the Sermon on the Mount, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? They were doing this as a spectacle. They were making a lot of noise as they were given their coins so people could ooh and people could ah. But contrast that with the poor woman. Verse 2. Unlike the rich... Jesus saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Tink, tink. Not very loud sound, was it? Copper coins, as you know, copper's not worth as much as gold and not worth as much as silver. This was, we call it a mite, but it's basically one-eighth of a penny. One-eighth of a penny. Some people don't even pick up pennies on the ground anymore. Right? Penny. She gave one-eighth of a penny. So she basically gave very, very little. And you may think, what can you buy with one-eighth of a penny? Nothing. You can't buy by nothing one-eighth of a penny then. You can't buy nothing now with one-eighth of a penny. In the real world, I have been told by people, Travis... We need to focus on the wealthy. Get them to start giving. Because you're going to need over a million dollars to build a building. So you get, we get the elders together and we maybe we'll go focus on the big givers. I'm going to listen. That's not how the kingdom of God works. 
the biggest giver in the kingdom was the lady who gave two mites. It's always been about the heart. The kingdom of God works differently. And I completely understand he uses means. I completely understand he uses means. But if I'm reading this passage right, and I believe I am, math doesn't work like the world thinks it works. God looks at the heart. And in verse 3, he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow with two copper coins, tink, blink, has put in more than all of them. Greatest giver in the kingdom was one of the poorest women that ever existed in Scripture because God looks at the heart. How many times have you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus Christ saying, the least in the kingdom is the greatest? He takes the world's math and he flips it upside down and says the kingdom doesn't work like the world works. It works differently. It's the people with the heart that is the greatest in the kingdom. Verse 4 will tell us, they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. I thought about an illustration, how to make an application of this. And I remembered in Bible college, we had that same guy, we had the same thing in the youth group when I first started to come to the Lord. I remember in Bible college, there was always that guitar guy. He wouldn't play the guitar until there was at least like 7.8 girls around him, right? Once there's enough girls around him, he'd pull the guitar out. Some of you are laughing, maybe you're married to him. But anyway, he, he pulls the guitar out, and that's when he starts playing, and everybody's like, oh, they're goo-goo and gaga, and I'm not jealous, I'm just saying, right? He's, he's playing the guitar, and he's singing, and everybody's loving it. Knew a guy like that. He went on to, to, to sing. He was, the, he was the major worship singer, you know. He was playing his guitar. He played every Friday and Saturday night at the pizza place, right? And loved singing, making the money. Loved, loved just people looking at him sing. Goes on to lead churches of thousands and thousands of people. Still loves it. Get his functional approval and energy based upon how many people are singing his music and songs. The world would say, that man's the best leader and the best singer in the kingdom. But God says, give me that person that can't carry a tune in the bucket. Who comes to church with tears in their face, who are in grief, and they sing, Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. That's the one who's the greatest singer of the kingdom. The one who sings out of their poverty is the greatest singer in the kingdom. And this works through all the applications of the Lord. Well, who's the greatest preacher? Maybe it's the person who has the most people. No, it's the one that has the heart. Do you remember John Owen? The great Puritan, not the Owen guy, Robert Owen, who came over and started New Harmony. John Owen, right? The great Puritan never left this church and it was always smaller than it should have been. He said, no, I'm not leaving my post. Well, you're John Owen. You can have any church. I'm going where the Lord called me. Jonathan Edwards in the States went to be a missionary to the Indians, the Native Americans there in New Jersey, and they kept saying, you need to come pastor this huge church. You're wasting your gifts. 
is wasting my gifts. I'm doing what the Lord's called me to do. You know why you remember those men's names and read what they read? It's because they cared about the kingdom. They never did it for their own namesake. They cared about the kingdom. The greatest in the kingdom are those who have a heart for the Lord, who aren't doing it because people are applauding them. The greatest in the kingdom are those who give out of their poverty, not out of their abundance. They just want to serve the Lord. Those who are the greatest in the kingdom. We've seen Jesus is always looking. We've seen the presuppositions. We've seen this juxtaposition of giving. And now let's look at the obligation of all. When you read this passage, you're probably like me, you're going to read it and you're going to see both the rich and the poor giving. This is an obligation that God has given all of us. If you have a job, that's not because you're great. That's because God has given you gifts. And I will tell you this, if you don't use those gifts, it will be sin for you. If God has blessed you with a mind and energy and a brain, use it for His glory. That's why He gave it to you. He didn't give you those gifts to hide them. He wants you to use them for His glory. Some gifts he gives to some and some gifts he gives to others. But we're all commanded to give. Now when I say that, I also want to tell you that God is not broke. He doesn't tell us to give because he doesn't have any money. He's not up here, well I'm broke, I don't know how I'm going to make it the next day. I don't know how I'm going to make New Covenant go. I don't know how we're going to build this building. I don't. Listen, the psalmist will tell us that God has cattle on every single hill in the world. I mean, cattle's worth a lot of money right now. He has wealth in every land. Cattle upon a thousand hills and wealth in every land. He doesn't need your money. He can create whatever he wants to create. Doesn't need your money. But he gives us opportunities to give because he wants us to be cheerful givers. He wants our hearts he wants us to say, we trust you so much, we love the giver, not the gift. How many times have you been tempted in your life to love the gift instead of the giver? Seems like most sin comes from that in some way, shape, or form, isn't it? What do you love more? And he's constantly testing us. And I, you know, people, you think God, I've read the story of Abraham the father of my faith, and I see how he was tested. And I've read through the book of Hebrews. And I've read through James. It seems the testing of our faith is true. What does that mean? I think it means testing of your faith. God is wanting us to exercise our faith. And these obstacles come. We are told not to withhold good from those whom it is due. And the most generous of, of all people should be Christians because we're blessed to be a blessing. But as I think about this building program, God doesn't need your bitter money. God doesn't need your bitter money. I know that to be true. God is wanting our church to have joyous hearts. Which brings us to the last part of this sermon, the judgment on Israel. 
God oftentimes uses widows to shame. We saw this at the widow of Zarephath. This is 1 Kings 17. And the entire northern kingdom, all of Israel was being judged for their sin. And every single Israelite woman had no food, had no oil, had no flour. They had nothing to make for their family. People were starving. And God skipped over every single Israelite woman and went to a Gentile woman and blessed her. The widow of Zarephath became her name. It became known to all the people in the land. And it was to shame them. This lady here, the widow in Luke 21, was a judgment on all the people who thought your name could be big the more you gave. This sermon has been preached so much, you know it very well. Forever, she will go down as the greatest giver in the kingdom. It shames those who think that you're only known by how much you give in the world's eyes. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom works by people who have a heart for the Lord. And she is an example of what sacrificial giving really is. And it's a judgment for those who see things differently. Just as God has always used these widows to shame those who think differently. As we close, Miss Fawn, in my eyes, though she didn't give as much as some other people give. And by the way, the elders don't know who give at all in this church. Uh, we like it that way. Sometimes if someone calls you and says, I have a check, you kind of have to know what they give, you know? <laughs> so let's just logic here. I knew what she gave. But in my mind, she's one of the greatest givers that ever existed because of how poor she was. I can't prove this, but I know there's this passage in Hebrews that talks about a great cloud of witnesses. And in my mind, what I imagine is, can't prove it, that some way, some form, that God is letting her see today some of the fruits of her labor as she cheers us on. See what you did, Miss Fawn? Travis is using you as an example, as a great giver. She said, well, I didn't give that much. Your math is wrong, Miss Fawn. Your math was wrong. You're one of the greatest givers because you gave out of your poverty. I believe the Lord's going to let us see that somehow in glory. And my prayer is that our hearts would be hearts that give back to the Lord, for we know that He has given us His Son. We know that He crushed His Son on Calvary. And my prayer is we think about this building program, that it wouldn't only be about the building. That's important. But may our hearts be changed. Let's think about what the Lord wants to do with our own hearts. Let's ask him to bless the preaching of his word.